I recognize your limit and I recognize my limit, so I will not be too long. But I have a very important message for you, very important. Now, if I were sitting there, I would feel more comfortable if you took off your mask and breathed freely. In fact, you would enjoy my sermon better, but do as you please. If you prefer to keep it on, keep it on, and if you can take it off, take it off, whatever. Before my sermon, I hold a book in my hand. It's a rather heavy book. The title, The Mississippi Flows Into the Tiber. I preached about this long time ago. And it was dedicated to me on March 15 by the Abyssinian family. I thank you very much. Now, this is not a manual that leads you to heaven, okay? If you need a manual, you pick up steps to Christ. Did you hear me? If you need a manual that you can trust to lead you to heaven, you pick up steps to Christ. This is a history book of notable Americans who converted to Roman Catholicism. The Mississippi flows into the Tiber. Now, brethren, may I just say, it's interesting history about individual apostasy. In my mind, if a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, Baptist, and here and there, even a Seventh-day Adventist individual joins that church, he is going into apostasy, period. What is good history? Let me put it down. I'd like to emphasize one thing, brethren. It has been my principle. I said this several times. I repeat it. It needs to be repeated. That whenever I stand on the pulpit and preach, I believe what I preach. No individual should stand up here, pastor, layman, administrator, anybody, to preach something that he does not believe. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not expecting you to agree with me all the time, but you are better off if you do. (laughs) But I still consider you my brother and sister, And I will support you. I will be kind and courteous to you 
give you a lift wherever I can. I don't expect you to agree, but as I said, what I, I believe what I preach. I think it is very important, and especially today. You have heard the scriptures when one of the angels spoke to the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, hold the winds, hold the winds, don't let it blow until we have sealed our servants on their forehead. Now, brethren, that scripture is more relevant today than when it was written. Amen? I hope you are theologically correct, brethren. You may say an amen, and if you so choose, you may say a nay, but... Be careful where you join in. Now, I'd like to ask you a very important question. Since we live in the great day of atonement, we have been teaching this publicly. That's our official position. But I'd like to ask you a very important question. What is the essence of the great day of atonement. The ritual in the Old Testament time and the ritual in the New Testament time, Christ being up there in heaven finishing the investigative judgment. But I'm asking you one question and it's, it's very important. What is the essence of the service? that make us a people. There are no other denomination on the face of the earth who preaches this. What is the essence? Participation in the Old Testament time, especially during Moses' time, was not optional. Are you following me? It was not optional. If you were a Jewish individual, you had to participate. If you didn't, you were disfellowshipped. In fact, you were stoned. Are you following me? I'm still preaching the biblical truth. Now, that significance of that symbolism has not diminished, brethren, has not diminished. In fact, it increased. But I'm still asking you the important question. What is the essence of the great day of atonement? I mean, the, the, the ritual, the symbolism. What is the essence? May I answer it simply, the best way I know? The essence was and is still the same. 
who constituted the true Israel. In Moses' times, those who did not participate, they were not only disfellowship, they were stoned. Today we don't practice that. But in the spiritual sense, to belong to the true Israel of God is as essential, in fact, more essential today than it ever been. So the essence of the service of the great day of atonement was and is who constitute the true Israel of God. Now, brethren, it's a very important issue today. A very important issue. I don't want to go into detail. Uh, Have you heard the replacement theology? Replacement theology. Dispensationalism fights it. I listened to some Orthodox rabbis in dialogue with Christians and criticizing Christians for anti-Semitism. And one of the major points was what they criticized, the replacement theology. Now, what is the replacement theology? The replacement theology simply says that the Old Testament time Israel was replaced by the New Testament Christian church. The church took the place of Israel. Now, brethren, may I say, dispensationalists, especially very popular today, invented a different salvation for Israel. I don't want to go down that route. I am just trying to illustrate, brethren, that I am not beating the air when I am speaking about these things. who constitute today the true Israel of God. I like to begin (coughs) illustrating something with an Old Testament story. You read it, you know it by heart, but probably you have forgotten it. So a little refreshment, refreshing would help. When you go home... (coughs) Reread the story. I I cannot go into detail because you would be sitting here very long if I tried to cover two chapters. Second Kings chapter 9 and 10. Second Kings chapter 9 and 10. Uh, You read it at home. It's too long a story to read it, but you know when you go home. What will you read when you go home? Second Kings, chapter 9 and 10. The story begins with a very young man. He may have been a freshman, a sophomore, junior, I don't know. 
He was a student in the schools of the prophets. Now, remember, the schools of the prophets were established by Samuel to counter-influence the apostasy that was going on in Israel. Very important role. But Samuel is gone. Elijah is gone. Right now in this story, Elisha is operating the school or managing the school. He calls this young student. He tells me exactly, he tells him exactly what to do and what to say. Uh, just listen. What to do and what to say. Okay. Let's turn to Second Kings. And I'm going to read chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. Second Kings, chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramus Gilead. Now when you arrive at the place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him in the inner room. So this is going to be done privately, not publicly, okay? Privately. Verse 3. Then take the flask of oil, put it on his head, <clears throat> and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. I love this story. I love biblical stories, uh, especially stories coming from the students of the schools of the prophets. Some did very well, some did not do well. Some lost their lives because they did not follow exact instruction. And there is a lesson for us in it, but let's stay with this story. The mental state of all those associates, now, those associates with Jehu probably would receive the status of a general. I don't know how many stars, one, two, three. A very few had five, you know, Eisenhower had five. He was a five-star general, and we could go down in the line, but those were smart men, mighty men. But listen 
you can read between the line about their spiritual condition. Obviously, this young boy was dressed like characteristic to the school of the prophet. And they said, what did this fool tell you? What did he tell you? And Jehu didn't want to tell the story first, but then they demanded. He says, no, 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 tell us the truth. Then he quoted what the young man said. Immediately they took off their overcoat, laid it down, and blew the trumpet and announced, Jehu is king. Now, I, I enjoyed certain characteristic of Jehu, especially in my younger years. Uh, one characteristic is that he was driving furiously, always above the speed limit. He must have, if he lived today, probably would have a, I don't know what, a Jaguar, or a car with 10 cylinders. I mean, he was a fast driver. That was his characteristic. <clears throat> the scripture says he killed two kings. He kills Jezebel. He kills the children of Ahab, 70, and an additional 42. He kills the Baal worshippers. I mean, he does everything that he's expected to do. There is a little incident in this when he meets Jehonadab. Now, here is a man of real noble character. He, he's known about his nobility. And they meet, and Jehu asks him, now, is your heart as true to me as my heart is to you? Jehu was seeking the friendship of someone honest and true and noble. And Jehonadab said, yes, it is. He says, reach your hand over, step up. Then from then on, he is riding in the royal chariot with Jehu. They go to the temple of Baal. They go in together. And they try to make sure that no true worshiper of Israel is in there. They don't want the true worshippers to be lost. Well, Jehu performed a physical cleansing of Israel. But if we study the sanctuary service, and this is where I like to, oh, I better hurry. If we study the sanctuary service, 
we have to understand that while those sin-hardened individuals earn their judgment, the nation of Israel was not really cleansed as the Lord expected them to be cleansed. Um, Let's go to chapter 10. And I use a New King James Version, and there is a subtitle here. It says, The Spiritual Evaluation of Jehu. Now, I read verse 31st, but pay attention. Verse 30. That's chapter 10, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall, shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. That's a reward. That's a reward. But unfortunately, verse 31 comes. Let's read verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law, uh, law of the Lord of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. Uh, let's turn to Revelation 21. Again, I am just repeating something that you know. Revelation 21. <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation 21. Verse 8. It lists the individuals who will not be allowed to enter the new Jerusalem. <coughs> so, Revelation 21 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, Idolaters. Are you listening? Idolaters. Idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is the second as. And chapter 22, 15. Chapter 22, 15. 
But outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, and idolaters. Idolaters. And whosoever loves and practices a lie. I'm sorry to say, according to the testimony of the scriptures, Jehu will not be saved. Now, what did he speak to Jehonadab? He says, come. See my zeal for the Lord. And he was zealous for the Lord. But brethren, the sanctuary service teaches us something extremely important that we are not ready to accept and willing to ignore. What did I say? What was my question? What is the essence of the great day of atonement ritual? Old Testament and the New Testament. What is the essence, brethren? The essence of it is who constitutes the true Israel of God in Old Testament time and who constitutes the true Israel of God in New Testament time. We cannot sidestep that issue. Now, I'm asking you to turn back the pages in your memory. What is the last act in the great day of atonement? Lots of ritual goes into it, you know. Lots of ritual on the great day of atonement. But what is the last step in that ritual? If you remember, the last step is they bring two goats to the door. They cast lot, one is for the Lord, and one is for Azazel, for the devil. The Lord's goat is sacrificed. But what happens to the scapegoat, as we call it? What happens to the scapegoat? The high priest comes out, lays his hands on the head of that he goat, confesses all the sins of Israel. So the scripture says, if you go back to Leviticus 16, that Israel is cleansed from all her sins. It's very important, theologically very important concept on the day of atonement. Israel is cleansed from all her sins. And what follows next? 
The next step is they find a fit man. It's not a priest. It's not a high official. But a fit man has to lead out the goat into the wilderness. Now, <clears throat> you have to go to the spirit of prophecy because this information that I'm going to share with you is only in the spirit of prophecy. If you studied the essays that I passed out last time, where Monica was kind enough to Xerox, and really, you had lots of time because of the pandemic to study the topic. This very issue came up in one of them, the authority of the writings of the spirit of prophecy. For me, it is authoritative. I have no question. For me. What you believe, you better work out between the good Lord and between you, but it is a serious issue. I say this because what I'm going to say now, you don't find it anywhere else but in the spirit of prophecy. And in the spirit of prophecy, we are told that this he goat, the scapegoat, as we call it, does his very best to escape. Somehow he senses that going out into the wilderness there is nothing to eat, nothing to drink. It's sure death. Somehow he senses he does not want to go out in the wilderness. And he jumps around and does his utmost to shake loose from the hand of the fit man. And here comes a, a very serious statement from the spirit of prophecy. If the goat escapes, if the goat escapes, Israel will perish. Now, brethren, that's a very serious issue. It's a very serious issue. <clears throat> the other day, by pure chance, I think it was more providential than pure chance, but I have to say it, it was by chance. Nobody recommended it. I, uh, I just bumped into a web page. Uh, if you have a pencil uh, or pen, uh, write it down on the bulletin. I give you the title of that web page. It's very important. It spoke to my heart. The title of the web page the mystery finished. That's it. The mystery finished. I wrote to them, 
they sent me this little booklet, 150 pages, free. Another one, free. You can write to them and you can get the literature. The title of this one is The Sanctuary, The Atonement, and the fifth man. Excuse me. I don't have the coronavirus. I just drink cold and cold drink makes me cough, but I don't have the coronavirus, so don't be concerned. The spirit of prophecy tells us to strive, to strive, to strive to be among the 144,000. That's for you and for me. Because this interpreter understands that the 144,000 is a fit man. It's not one individual. It's a fit man. It's 12.30. Lots of questions. Hey, I, I will be back on the last Sabbath in July. This month. I hope to continue, all right? I, I can't say everything today. It, it, it would take too much time and you would say, don't ever invite Pastor Botansky again. He does disregard the time. So, uh, what this new discovery helped me to understand the importance of last generation theology. It looks like in my mind. Now, I'm speaking my mind. Of course, what else would I preach? But in my mind, the fifth man role and what that God tries to do symbolically, escaping, it fits into the concept of the last generation theology. We have to be victorious, brethren. We have to be victorious, and we can be victorious. Okay, in closing, and this is my last verse today, Second Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians Second Corinthians Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 1. Second Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
I admired Jehu. He displayed some qualities as, as a young man I liked. But I am afraid. I am afraid when I consider that here was a man zealous yet in his own life, in his own life, he remained the worshippers of the golden calf. And therefore he will not be saved. Lord, help us. I am just simply asking you, study it for yourself. I love you regardless how you relate to this topic. My friendship to you is unconditional in this sense. I am your brother in Christ and anything I can help, I do help. But I have convictions and I stick with mine and you stick with yours and Let's see where we end up. Thank you.